there's going to be opportunities on new platforms, whether it is a TikTok or other places, and thinking creatively about how you can find the folks that are on those platforms that may be your right particular bag or your right particular person, but the need to constantly adapt and tweaking and figuring out things with the algorithm will always be there, right? I do feel like the desire and the need to own an audience will always be there, but how people go about acquiring said audience, I think that's going to change over time. This is Media Moves, the podcast for executives to make sense of the perpetually moving media landscape. I'm Adam Ryan. Dan, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for coming on. Adam, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course. I've been following Trapital as anybody uh, who knows anything in media to follow the prolific creation that you've you've done, but uh, excited to dig in more and, and learn how it came to be. Definitely. I mean, you know as well as anyone, building these things are a journey. You learn a lot along the way, but it's been great, and I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, let's get to it. So to give a little context to the audience, you went to business school in Michigan. You had some tech jobs that paid the bills. Uh, and during that time, you started a Medium page writing about uh, the hip hop industry as a whole. And that led to some bylines and, and various uh, requests for publications. But what drew you into the topic? Like what made you feel because you were working at a tech like business, you, to my knowledge, you were not in hip hop previously. So what drew you in? Yeah, I wasn't in hip hop and I wasn't in journalism or writing or media necessarily before this. But when I was at Michigan, there was this case study that had came out. It was about Beyonce and her surprise album drop that she had done in 2013. And when the case study came out, there were headlines everywhere. Everyone was talking about it. And I checked out the case study myself. It was great. And it was a breath of fresh air because this was at a time when I was reading and studying in classes all these other case studies on all these other blue chip companies you had heard about for years, whether it's your Coca-Cola's or Pepsi or Southwest Airlines, but having something on Beyonce stuck out. And to me, I also noticed that if this is making this many headlines, it's also a notice that there isn't enough of this and people clearly want this. And I had always been curious about sharing my thoughts and putting them out there. And even though I wasn't a writer necessarily, some of the work I had done in the past, especially for whether it's classes or other projects, had always gotten pretty well reception. So I said, let me take a stab myself. So started a Medium page, started writing about the intersection of business and sports and music and hip hop. Wrote some pieces that I probably wouldn't want to read again just because you're looking at the work you've done from years ago and you think you've become a lot better since then. But some of those early pieces did end up gaining the attention of people that were working directly in media that had wanted me to do freelance articles for them. And at that point, it was like, hey, this is a, this is just a hobby. And if I was already going to do it and share it with my friends and family through pages, might as well get some more eyeballs on it. And I think over time, started to focus in on hip hop itself because that's what drew me in more. I was someone that grew up loving the artists, loving the culture behind this. And I really wanted to be able to see these artists get the same level of 
profiles and the same level of strategic analysis and critiques that I had seen from all the case studies and all the other business examples growing up. So whenever I think about the origin of where it came from, that's where it was. And I think we've seen this past decade just how much more influential that's been with hip hop artists and people coming from this culture, building some of the most influential businesses in the space. Yeah. I mean, the infamous Jay-Z line, right? Like, uh, uh, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman, right? That, yep. that, uh, it like feels like the thesis to your entire piece in the last decade and more, there's been, I would say culture and business has intertwined completely where the folks that are leading culture are actually now taking advantage of that in the business aspect. What's something that when you were getting started that you were hoping to achieve that you've been able to get to now? I think for me, there are always the milestones of having certain numbers of subscribers or podcast downloads or website views and things like that that have been good to track. But if anything, what's kept me the most motivated has been the actual impact that you can see and feel, whether that's going to conferences or meetups in person and actually meeting a lot of the people that you may only know from an email line behind the newsletter or through the podcast replies and then being able to talk to them and see how it's worked with them or getting the inbound inquiries or calls from people that you know yourself that you have done articles on or research on realizing that they are fans of what I'm doing. I think a lot of that added not just validation of, oh, you know, so-and-so likes what I'm doing, but it's like, yes, not only is it, it's not necessarily even in this like fan perspective, it's they're gaining the insights from this. And I think that is what validated me to feel like this is exactly why I was doing this, right? I felt like as someone that was an outsider to this industry, but had a lot of insights and thoughts about it. And obviously I've been able to do things, whether it's on consulting projects or just having more and more conversations, understanding the business, both inside and outside of the music industry, as it relates to these artists more deeply, being able to be a bit more connected to that and being able to see the impact and see the influence. And I mean, we're talking about the largest companies in this space and how influential some of this content and just some of the thought leadership has been, that's been really impactful to see. So I think when I think about five years, like that's the piece that sticks out to me the most. And I realized that pretty early on, like it started to trickle in and that's the ultimate push that had me want to start working on Trapital full-time. It took about a year after I'd started as a pilot to work on it full-time, but by seven months in, when I started to see the names that were signing up for the newsletter or the inquiries or the responses I had, I said, okay, this is resonating and the conversations I'm now having are a reflection of that. So let's keep this thing going. Yeah. You got to meet the people behind, like behind your work and you're validated for that. There's like no better feeling when you're getting started than it. What's something for me, I am not in the music industry. I don't invest in consumer products often, but I, I think your email and your newsletter just sparks like absolute curiosity with me. I'm always like, there's so many playbooks that happen in the hip hop industry that even if you don't invest in consumer or you're not in the music industry, they're innovating in the space in their own playbooks that then get repurposed and reutilized elsewhere. That's why I love what you do because you're always on the, it's really like the front line of the trends. What is something about the hip hop industry, particularly that you think is pretty misunderstood? I think that people assume artists 
a few things. One, I think when people assume that artists are getting into a lot of deals or they're making a lot of business decisions, that it's usually someone on their team or someone that they're working with. And you'll often see comments where the diligence or the thought is quickly pushed on some someone else. So for instance, I've often written and covered the deals that Nas has done and how influential he's been in that space. But unfortunately, the amount of times I've heard from people, oh, well, you know, he's just has, you know, his bag with the Andreessen Horowitz. He's just friend with, with Ben Horowitz, so on and so forth. And yes, you could be friends with someone, you can co-invest with them, but how does that mean that that is not necessarily a reflection of what that artist is doing themselves? Look at all the CEOs or, or VCs or founder operator, you know, investor operators here that co-invest with other people. No one questions their intelligence when they do that, but people have a tendency to do those types of things with hip hop artists. So I think that's one of the misconceptions I always hear. I think that people wouldn't question Sequoia and Kleiner Perkins doing a co-investment on, you know, which one was necessarily more influential or who did this, even if it's an angel. So I do think that people get that sometimes misconstrued, especially when it comes to hip hop artists, because a lot of ways it could actually be the other way around where yeah. it is a lot of these established firms leaning on the artists themselves because they are much more likely in a lot of cases to understand the trends, especially where it regards to consumer and products and consumer investing. The access that you have to deals doesn't diminish the intelligence it takes to do the deals. Like there's the, those two things aren't correlated. And I think what it does though, is it, it actually shows it's, it's part of the larger trend that like, it's part that you can do one profession and actually do a different profession completely like investing and being in hip hop or, in Ben Horowitz's case, like he's a prolific writer and he also is a prolific investor and attaching that and, and hip hop not carrying the same perception is, is probably a good one. Something that stuck out to me, I've, uh, because I, I have my own intentions on things. I I've, I've reached out to you a million times, uh, in the last 18 months about various reasons. And I've always been so impressed because you're like, I, I'm doing this. You were one of the first people that I met that you were like, no, I have huge ambitions for Trapital and I'm doing it on my own, baby. And you haven't raised any venture. You slogged your way through that first year so hard and you did it. And now if you look at your ads and your newsletters, it looks like you're selling out every week. You have some of the biggest names following you. You had that success. What has enabled you as an individual operator, creator, and CEO to have that success compared to most people who even we look at Packy, he's now hired his brother. He started to take new, new steps. What's been your secret sauce to be able to do this on your own? It's interesting because I think it's one of these questions that has such a sliding scale because you and I have had these conversations where when you're in it, you don't necessarily think that you have made it necessarily out of the mud, for lack of a better word, right? Everything always feels like a go, go, go. So in many ways, I'm still in that mentality. But with that said, I definitely am you know, aware and fortunate in terms of where things are going, the momentum, the impact, and more importantly, the economics of the business and how it's been able to run and just being able to continue to grow in a bootstrapped way and being able to push things forward. I think for me, things started to change in a few different areas. So I had changed my business model almost two years ago now. I had started 
my newsletter primarily on Substack. And then I had moved it over to ConvertKit. And around that time, I'd started the paid model, which I think a lot of people that were starting newsletters at the time saw that as one of the primary defaults in order to grow and build your audience, you know, charging people $10 a month or $100 a year for your premium content. And I quickly realized that it was limiting for me for two reasons. One, like anything, it's a funnel. You're cutting off some of the content you have and you're not necessarily spending the most time on the things that should be at the top and also just growing that overall. But second, especially with the type of content I have, like you said to yourself, it's something that I think often sparks curiosity where it's like, as much as there's some people that are all the way in it, I did pick a niche. And I think being able to pick a niche, have a distinct area where people could read something online and be like, oh, I have a feeling that this likely came from Trapital. I think that helped me in a lot of ways where it became harder for other folks to do that. Because as great as a lot of the writing on tech or other areas are per se, there's a lot more voices there where let's say you stripped away all of the branding or names could you identify who necessarily wrote this piece might be a lot harder to do that. And I don't think that that was necessarily as much of a challenge for me, even if you compared my content to a few other areas. So I think the uniqueness of the niche did stand out. It clearly gave me a lane of what to focus on, what not to. But then I think it just expanded the scope of things as well, because there's so much to cover in hip hop. You know, this isn't just a genre, it is a culture. And with that, you have the moves that are happening in the music industry. And then you have the things that are happening outside of the music industry. And then it also gives a bit of segue to cover other things as well, right? Like, for instance, because so much of the studying about the music industry is has been a requirement for hip hop, it's lended itself to be able to talk about something like Adele not wanting to make videos on TikTok or Taylor Swift still being in her master's battle with Scooter Braun or whoever now owns it, being able to share insights on that, I think can clearly lead to potential extensions. So I do think for me, the niche focus was there to begin with where it was like, oh yeah, someday, oh yeah, business of hip hop. Oh yeah. There's this Trapital site out there. This guy, Dan Runcy writes it. Like those things I do think helped uh, a good amount for me. The quality of your analysis, like that, it shouldn't be understated. Like it's, you're not doing curation. The replaceability of the content is is very hard to have, and I think that comes from like a combination of passion and you went to business school and like understand how to break down a business. And it's that's the secret piece. What is contrary to one of my beliefs that you've been able to accomplish is I normally tell people when they're starting in a niche, like choose one person that's not yourself to write for. And so I've been pretty public. I I always write for Mike Kearns uh, for Perpetual. And that's like the one person that I I, I think about and I, I kind of write of like something I think you'd be interested for. Do you have someone like that? Because it feels like you have such a broad audience for being so niche, which is allowing your success. Like you're becoming more of a well-known factor because people like me who aren't in hip hop still it's a must read, right? And so how do you think about that when building out an audience? Yeah, it's interesting because I will say there's definitely trade-offs which you're likely alluding to, right? I do think that given the type of business that I do run, which is largely based on sponsorship revenue, at least at the current moment, being able to have a identifiable audience that does stand out as well is strong. And I think it's one thing to have the top level of the business of hip hop, but in terms of the people that actually do read it, 
there are, of course, the largest group of anyone or the people that are working directly in music, whether that's the artists themselves, people that work with artists, managing them, leading them, investing in them, yeah. all of the different areas there. But I think because of the insights and the way that I break down businesses and the trends, it's attracted a lot of people in tech. It's attracted a lot of founders like yourselves or VCs, and then more broadly, marketers or others that are building in this space. So for me, I do think about a few things. I think about the breadth of the different types of pieces that I would cover. And it's almost like for each of those, I do have a particular avatar mind or a particular type of person. And it's kind of this like sweet spot because I always want the content to be aspirational. So I'm never talking down to people. That's actually one thing that I do get a bit frustrated at when I read other people write content in this space or produce content in this space where I think sometimes it's there's an assumption that you have to like dumb things down and I've never taken that approach, but I do make it a point to, okay, if there's an easier way or a clean way to say this, you can say that. So I think that is one of the reasons why it can resonate both with the people that are on your you know, power players list for whatever respective industry, whether it's music or entertainment, but also other folks. So I do think that you know, starting out maybe early on when I saw bigger names sign up for the list, there was the back of my mind like, oh, I got to do this for this person or I like or I have to like write it thinking that this is the type of person that I'm trying to reach. And I think that was helpful to an extent. But I also realized that when I'm thinking more broadly about, OK, if I am selling sponsorships or if I'm selling some type of package, that person's influence may do a lot, you know, from an ego boost and all those things. But is that person going to buy or, you know, follow through with one of the products from one of the sponsors or someone like that that is buying or, or selecting or choosing to follow through? So that's where a lot of people, you know, kind of point out to me is that in a lot of ways, the bigger TAM and the people that are much more the potential fit is that group much lower, right? Who is the junior executive that, you know, may want to get to that next level? Who's the person that's rising that is almost there, but isn't quite at that level. And being able to reach that person and the tools they need is ultimately what it is, right? I do think that there can be sometimes a bit too much of a tendency to lean too heavily on the person that like has it all. And I think I've seen this even outside of business writing, where I think a lot of journalists will try to impress other journalists with their writing. And you can tell that so and it's like, you don't necessarily need to go to that level. So I think that's helped for me where I've seen things that I may not have even considered to have taken off, but it still is helpful to break it down. Like for instance, I, we just recently passed the, um, 15th anniversary of 50 Cent doing his vitamin water deal, which is one of the most influential deals we had seen. And let's say me three years ago may have said, oh, well, everyone can just Google and find out the details of that. I need to have something even more unique, right? But now it's a bit like, well, I think there clearly is a unique insight of, okay, if I'm going to retell that story, I can do it in a way where people know it's likely coming from me because of the things I'm able to pull or the trends you're able to pull in and finding a way to remix the things that people are already familiar with, but being able to elevate it in a way that feels relative to me, I think that's what works. And I think we've kind of seen that consistently in media to some extent, whether it is people doing what we're doing, whether it's podcasters or even at the biggest stages of in Hollywood, like what can you take that's familiar, but then adding your 
personal flavor on it so that it still feels relevant. It's so fun to hear you uh, talk about your belief in writing because I have been working on my own like beliefs because I'm much newer at this than you are. And for me, I've like come to two conclusions and they kind of go against each other in a purposeful way. But like one is like, don't be afraid of the obvious. I read stuff all day long. You read stuff all day long in the music industry. Like it's not obvious to everyone else if it's obvious to you. So like even with the vitamin water is a perfect example of that. Like, yes, everyone knows about that deal, but does everyone actually know about that deal? And then the second one is avoid like the lowest common denominator uh, for me. And like what you saying, like you write, you don't dumb it down. Like you do write for an audience that is intelligent, that understands business. And to me, if you're the like easiest slippery slope is like you start to like make it where you sell yourself like, oh, I'm making my content more accessible. But really what you're doing is like you're showing, you're signaling that like, hey, I'm on this like slope where I'm no longer trying to like write for the people that I admire and it's aspirational. And like that's those two things is kind of how I think about my own content, but it overlaps exactly with what you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. I think the thing that can get even tougher in that regard is just knowing that there's different levels of things. Like for me, I know that writing the newsletter that I may want to send out on a week that may recap a recent news event is much different than an evergreen topic that I've been thinking about for months. And not even that the tonality or anything like that is much different, but it's like anything else, right? It's like making a a five to 10 minute YouTube video that's really high quality, but comparing that to the work that you may put into like a feature length film or something like that, it's, it's completely different. And it, not that things are necessarily shifting from the quality of the work, but yeah, like it takes a lot to be able to make sure that you're shifting gears, but you're still providing something of high quality that people are going to want to engage with. And when they see your name coming up on the inbox, it's like, yes, let me read now. I want to, I want to learn more. Writing a newsletter isn't that different than creating a music album, right? Like you're going to have one or two hits that drive everything. And it doesn't mean the quality is different for the other songs. It's just, it's not going to have that broad appeal. Right. You're at about 15,000 subscribers. What piece has like driven the most subscribers from you? Like, have you had one piece that like moved the needle? Yeah. For me, the Issa Ray piece that I did two years ago still is the one that moves the needle the most. I mean, I was sent a clip from a conference at that United Masters had held in Brooklyn, and they had shouted out the piece there, and they were talking to an audience of hundreds of people. And this is two years after the piece came out. So I think that piece had influence in a few ways, right? That influence essentially started the relationship with the folks at Hooray Media, which eventually is what led to being able to have Issa as a guest on the Trapital podcast and talking to her. But being able to draw and have diagrams, I think also helped as well. So I had drawn a synergy map that reflected how she had intersected a lot of her businesses and how there were so many similarities to that famous Walt Disney synergy map that he had done in the 50s. And I think people just being able to see the comparisons and just seeing how this is in many ways a blueprint for not just what Issa is doing, but what others are doing too, it took off. And I think that piece did have a lot of relevant elements where it's someone that people already were familiar with to a fair extent, but they likely wanted to learn more. And there were other pieces and things that I could pull from that could tell the story in a unique way that necessarily wasn't done before. 
And it's always interesting to see the effect afterward of like what that may lead to as well. So even though it's a few years in, and even though the audience that I may have had at the time was a fraction of what it is today, that's still the piece that does do quite well, both from a impact perspective and also from the numbers that it does bring in. You think 1,000 subscribers, 2,000 subscribers? What do you think that piece has brought you? Oh, yeah. I would say at least two. Definitely. So almost 15% of your total audience from one piece. And I think like that's something that it, you know, you've produced. You're a consistent guy. You're, you're in it every week, no matter what. You're, you're, that's a, let's say it's a, two years ago. It's 100 pieces since then. And, and one piece represents almost 15%. I think that's the, that's the type of quality that like that's the pressure that I think creators have on themselves when you're still carrying that burden of like, but one piece like that can kind of shift the whole business and you work on those for months in your brain. I think Mario Gabriel is a similar comparison in that way for as you. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that this is another comparison. Like you just said, it's like an, it's like an artist as well. I mean, we're seeing all these catalog deals that happen in music. And in my mind, I run through the same thing. If the catalog sells for a hundred million dollars, I think through, okay, what are the three biggest songs that that artist has done and how much did that song actually attribute to it and of course the people that did the deal can do this out because they have the data to prove it but look at someone like justin timberlake just sold his catalog i think his shares total came to around 100 million dollars i guarantee you that at least 50 percent of that is like the biggest hits from his few albums and we're talking maybe five or six songs that could likely make up the 50 percent, and then the rest of it is the rest of the tale i mean it's media right i think all media to some extent even people building their own niche media everyone has their own level of the long tail or you know what's at the head versus what's in the middle the song catalog it's a thing now it's the move that everyone springsteen did for 500 I think you're going to start to see more and more folks do that. It's just, it's funny. It's kind of created this, this trend when you have a new asset class, all the investors are like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, oh yeah. It's royalties are, are a beautiful thing though. Kind of last question would love to know. I think a lot of the audience, you know, you're, you've been grinding weekly podcasts, weekly newsletters, 15,000 subscribers, all organically. You bootstrapped it yourself. It's just like wildly impressive. What does the future trap look like? Yeah. So for me, it's a few things. One, I do see a future where I can do a few things. One, increase the content and just being able to cover more verticals within the area. Like I alluded to before, there's so much happening in the business of hip hop and music and entertainment more broadly, both inside and outside of the respective industries. There could be beats on each of these things and having a more regular newsletter where maybe it is twice or three times a week and being able to have that and ideally having more writers to be able to help cover some of those things. And I think that's where a lot of the scale can go. I mean, the open rates have always been high and promising. And I think that's always been an indication that, okay, if there was more, the ability to do more, I could do that. Now, just given the way things are set up, there's too much in terms of wearing the operator hat to be able to do those things. So like scaling anything, being able to get assistance there will help. And I think that's both on the writing side and on the podcasting side as well, which has had being able to have more voices and being able to share things and being likely a bit less reliant on the interviews for content and being able to talk a bit more broadly about the trends and the insights. Because I do think at the end of the day, as much as people may 
be interested in the interviews. I do think it's Trapital's insights, both what I can share through um, audio and being able to do that written as well. And I think for me as well, being able to leverage that media platform to invest in back in a lot of the companies that I believe are going to take hip hop culture and take music more broadly to the next level. I think we've seen so many of these artists become kingmakers for so many companies in the past decade and being able to have more of a direct hand in that would be great. So being able to build out an investment arm specifically for Trapital to do that, that's the long-term vision of where things are going. And I think truly being able to own the influence of the impact that it's had as the voice in the space elevating things and being able to do it with both the content we put out and the money we're able to invest in back in the companies that are pushing things forward. That's awesome. Well, speaking of the future, I would love to to hear from you. You know, what is something when you think about in the next 12 months, what's a what's a media company out there that you don't think enough people are paying attention to that in 12 months from now, everyone's like, oh, wow, that's that was really good. There's a few that come to mind. I do like the model of whether it's a puck or I know you've had Brian Morrissey from the rebooting on as well. I feel like both of those, you know, going at it slightly different ways, but I think that they're building things uniquely. And if you're likely listening to this podcast, you're pretty familiar with what they're doing and how they're building it. But I'm also curious to see, there's been some very strong comedians that I think have built some great business models around what they've done and how they've built um, their stuff up. So one of them is Kevin Stage, who has started his own streaming service, Kevin uh, Stream and Kevin Stage Studios. He has a whole team. And I think in a lot of ways, him and I were able to connect because of the Tyler Perry essay that I had written. That's another that one. That was my the, personal favorite, by the way. Oh, thank you. Appreciate I, that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, we were able to connect um, because of that one. And he's essentially building his own version of that. And when I yeah. think about, you know, who are the next generation of creators that are going to be the ones laying the framework and people are going to be looking back on what they're doing. I think he's an example of that. So I would be paying attention to how he's been building his business. I went down to check out a studio in LA last time I was there and it was legit. And I think another one is uh, Mark Phillips. Uh, people may know him from a lot of the meme videos that him and his team will put together. Um, he puts a lot of them on Instagram. He has a big following on Twitter as well. I know he's done a few things where he's like mocked um, LeBron James and then he actually met LeBron James in person. But I think he has a good platform to be able to do things right. What I think both of them just get so well is understanding how these algorithms work. They're studying them the same way that whether it's a Mr. Beast or whoever else is out here now just you know putting in their 10,000 hours and they're reaping the benefits, what they can then do with that next, the same way that we see Mr. Beast on the cover of Rolling Stone, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a Kev on stage or a Mark Phillips in that position soon enough. The comedian route is like such a good creator angle. Netflix has opened this new door of monetization and distribution and like your Tyler Perry piece, I think is like, right up there of like Mount Rushmore of creator breakdowns. Like you don't understand how much success he has had in the patience that he had to get there. If you haven't read that piece, go look it up. And it's, it's honestly inspiring. Everyone knows Tyler Perry is a household name. You don't understand all the things that he's been able to accomplish. And then thinking about you, 
you got a lot going on in the future. You've been building this for a while now. You've been consistent at it. But what's something if you could go back 12 months, what's like a trend that you think in the last 12 months, you're like, damn, I should have done more of that that I just like didn't do. Yeah, I think for me, it was getting help earlier on to actually help with things in the business. I tried, brother. I tried. (laughs) (laughs) You did. You did. No, you definitely (laughs) did. a hard time. (laughs) Uh, But like, I guess more specifically, though, I guess I'm referring to like more of the tasks that I've been able to get help with both A, an assistant and be with production on the podcasting side as well. Like just cool. with creating clips, editing, being able to take things off my hands so that I can focus on the things that I really only have to do, which is the content creation and then being able to hand off the other aspects to completion, which just buys back so much more time I can obviously spend on higher leverage items for the business. It's something that I always knew was there. I think I was likely a bit reluctant from, like anything, you're building a a cash strap business, you're probably likely to be a bit more conservative with the money that you're spending. But I think I realized that, hey, the quote unquote floor isn't anywhere near what I think it may be in terms of what I'm comfortable with spending. No, it's not even a matter of being aggressive, but it's like, I know what the vision is like, level up now instead of waiting for some milestone you want to hit that may mean more to me than it it does actually mean about what it can do for the business sooner. So being able to do those things, I do think has helped a lot. And just being able to continue to build on that piece as well, because I think that extends to being able to, whether it's getting sponsorships through, getting partnerships in, having a funnel and just being able to bring all the things to leverage what I can do. I think that all those things, the sooner that would be, the sooner that could buy back the time. And who knows, like definitely happy with where things are going, but it definitely could have had Drapital maybe six months further down the pipeline than where it may currently be had I started those things even sooner. Yeah, delegation, man. It's a beautiful thing. I I always talk about this pyramid with creators and replaceability. And the bottom of the pyramid is podcast production. It's It's sending the newsletter. It's It's doing a lot of the stuff that a lot of people can do. And the top of that pyramid is your Tyler Perry piece, right? Like the top of that pyramid is the things that very, very few people can do. And it's so difficult to work your way up that pyramid as a creator. But the reality is like the needle moves the more you go up and spend more time up there. It's just difficult to swallow, particularly when you're when you're doing it on your own. Yeah, definitely. Because that's where it's like the more that you have that stuff, the more resources you can actually put towards it, right? Like one thing that I do think about a lot with this model, and I just think about like the quality versus quantity piece of it, which I do think speaks a lot to what's made Trapple to resonate. I think about like what like John Oliver putting out last week tonight, right? He only does 30 shows a year. And his whole point is like, this is going to be scripted. It's going to be high quality. Like we're going to have like a whole team that puts towards this, but we can't do this every week. If you want a lower quality thing, you can do that. You can see, you know, the other competitors that I have, but that's not necessarily going to be the approach that we have with this. And I think I've always thought about that because obviously that's true even with someone like him where he obviously is you know, at the top of that creator pyramid for his business and however many dozens of people he has working on that show, but still being able to keep that balance, but knowing that even when you do that, there's a limit in terms of how good a quality you could put out of anything. So I've always kept that in mind. And we're all good at math, right? You add another newsletter, you can increase your business by 50%. You know, you double it. And so 
it's easy to be like, ah, just like one more newsletter. It's okay. Right. Yeah. And it's easy to make that sacrifice for more revenue. And the fact that you've been on your own and not done that speaks to your intention of quality because it's like any newsletter operator creator in the world knows how that works. Like if you're charging sponsorship dollars, add one more, you can make twice as much money. Um, but it, it, it does make it really difficult to keep that quality high. For sure. And I think there's like a, a sweet spot, right? It's like, I don't think that trap it or whatever become a daily newsletter necessarily, right? right? I do think that for this niche, it probably wouldn't make the most sense. But is there a version of this that could be twice a week? Maybe. And I think it's something where it's like, okay, could you test it out? I still do prefer the way things have been with the model for sure. But I think this is where it's easy to be able to try things out as opposed to being like, hey, dedicated, this is going to be where it's at. And that's the beauty of being nimble, right? You test things out, and if it doesn't, if it works out, great, double down. And if it doesn't, then you can back away from it. Putting on our future hat here, five years from now, 2027, when you're thinking about your business and where media as a whole is going as an industry, what do you think in five years will be just totally different that, that we have to adjust to? I think that we've probably learned a lot from the movie industry in terms of the saturation of creators or people that are influencers or stars and what that could inform even for people that are doing their own newsletters or podcasts or things like that. And by that, I mean that we're in this era where people are clearly shifting away from institutions to individuals, right? People are seeing the value of wanting to invest in one person or being able to get behind what that creator is doing, whether it's a Tyler Perry or Issa Rae or you and I, right? I think, though, that over time, like what we saw in the music, movie industry is that it became harder for those sole names to be able to sell a movie. We're past the stage where Will Smith or even Tom Cruise could command, you know, $80 million or $100 million box office weekend. Now it has to be The Rock, but not just The Rock. It has to be The Rock doing a Fast and Furious franchise in order to command anything near that. And I think we'll, what that means for us as people that are creators or media operators, I think you'll see much more collaborations and much more Avengers Assemble style things that people will do in order to level up. You still may have a few outliers here or there, and a lot of those will likely be, you know, legacy folks that people just haven't let go of. No different than, you know, you're still going to have your Howard Stearns, you're still going to have your your Joe Buttons and folks like that. But I do think for newer folks, you may start to see more of the folks coming together. And obviously, I don't think that's going to look like the institutions that they were before, but I think you'll see more of it. I mean, you're even seeing more of it in the investing space too. I think a lot, I've seen solo GPs that have decided to band up together and say, hey, let's go about this. You see some of this already in media. I know I mentioned Puck earlier. I, I think you have The Defector as well, which is a few of those Deadspin folks that came together. You're seeing these things. Maybe it's still nascent for some of them, but I do think that when it's harder for the individual to break out, you'll start to see more of those individuals, even the stars come together on some of those bigger projects. I'm all for that trend. I agree. I, I think you just, uh, you might need to pitch uh, Workweek to the next line of investors because uh, that's that's essentially what we're trying to do. So I love that. I know, right? It like, definitely describes your model and how you're- It is exactly what it was. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that clip and put it in my deck. Um, <laughs> uh, so on the flip side, what do you think doesn't change at all in five years? What do you think is the exact same as today? 
I still think that having a direct audience relationship will be key. What that looks like and how that relationship will be may shift over time, right? Because it wasn't that long ago where everyone thought that being able to have the address of everyone in your audience and being able to send them something in the mail was what was gold. And things obviously shifted from there. And I think as much as email inboxes are important and obviously is the lifeline for much of our businesses as well, every year there is a newer type of challenge that comes through with these email clients and how it can make things a little bit more difficult for us. So when I'm thinking about things moving forward, I still do have like a clear thought in mind of, okay, there's going to be opportunities on new platforms, whether it is a TikTok or other places, and thinking creatively about how you can find the folks that are on those platforms that may be your right particular bag or your right particular person, but the need to constantly adapt and tweaking and figuring out things with the algorithm will always be there, right? There may be a phase where being able to get email subscribers from Twitter or social media posts just isn't the best way. And there may be some other newer channel to try to do that. Who knows? Maybe text marketing will take off the way that some people believe it will. And there may be even more of a shift there. I still think there are plenty of challenges there, but I do feel like the desire and the need to own an audience will always be there, but how people go about acquiring said audience, I think that's going to change over time. I, yeah, the adaptability is almost table stakes in today's media landscape. Like if you're not like looking at TikTok right now, like you're already behind, you know, and then if you're making a conscious choice of like that, but I think what we've all learned is like not being dependent of the algorithms to reach your audience is not the move. Right. So agreed. Well, Dan, it was awesome talking. I could talk to you. We we thought this would go 30. It's uh it's been longer than that. We talked way before we started recording too, but I really appreciate you coming on. For everyone listening, where can they sign up for Trapital and where can they follow you on social? Yeah, for sure. So if you listen to this, you probably love podcasts. So make sure you check out Trapital. I've interviewed many of the leaders in this space I've talked about, I interviewed folks like Issa Ray. Rick Ross, Master P, Troy Carter, and others. So search Trapital, T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L, wherever you get podcasts. And that's the same for the website as well. The newsletter, you can join, be one of those 15,000 and growing. That's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot C-O. New newsletters and new episodes every week. Sweet. Well, I appreciate the time, Dan. You're you're one of the best out there and uh, grateful that we get to learn from you today. Likewise, appreciate it, man. It's an honor to be on this. Keep up the great work at Work Week. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay ahead of media's next move, then make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. I'll see you next time.